In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit. Amen. What would it be like, do you think, if you and I could be freed once and for all from our fear of death and dying? What would that be like? If that experience that lies ahead for really every one of us could be looked at as more of a, a, another positive adventure rather than as something that comes to steal everything that we have lived for. I caught a glimpse of that, I think, in an old play by Eugene O'Neill. It was called Lazarus Laughed. It was never much of a hit on Broadway. But I think it is a powerful expression of the real meaning of Easter and what it would be like if that message uh, could find its way into the deepest part of our hearts. So the play begins actually at the end of the biblical story that we have just heard. In the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus is depicted as calling his old friend Lazarus out of the grave. The story says that Lazarus has been asleep. The grave has been sealed for four days, which is the Bible's way of saying that Lazarus is not just asleep. He's not just in a coma. He is really dead. But at that moment, the same thing that happened at the very beginning of creation happened all over again. Being met non-being. Life met death, and life won out. And Lazarus is portrayed as coming out of the grave laughing, this warm, tender kind of laugh. The first thing that they do is to unbind his grave clothes, just as Jesus has commanded. And Lazarus embraces his old friends with a wonderful sense of appreciation. But instead of having a faraway look in his eyes, as though he wants to be anywhere else, Lazarus looks around this scene in Bethany, where, of course, he has lived his whole life. He looks at the blue skies. He looks at the expressions on the faces of all of his friends with a new delight. There is a kind of astonishment in his eyes. And the first thing that Lazarus says is, yes. Yes, it's as though he is embracing life in a whole new way. Well, when that first wave of excitement begins to pass, Lazarus finds his way back to his home. Of course, word gets out in the community, and before you know it, everyone has gathered at Lazarus's home. Um, and at one point, someone musters the courage to ask the question that everyone has on their mind, Lazarus, what is it like to die? What is it like on the other side? And in the play, Lazarus begins to laugh again, only this time more heartily. And he says to them, there is only life, my friends. There is only life out there and the laughter of God. Death is not what it seems on this side. It's not the end of everything. The grave over there is empty. The way a doorway is empty. 
It is simply a passageway through which we move into a deeper and brighter light. There is nothing to fear, my friends. There is only God out there. There is only life and the laughter of God. And so as the play unfolds, Lazarus begins to live out this great discovery. But instead of doing miraculous, stupendous things, he simply returns to his everyday commonplace life with a new excitement. The quality of his work increases. The level of his anxiety decreases. His home becomes known as the house of laughter. And being freed from the fear of death, this actually becomes contagious in Bethany. Other people began to catch the vision that there really isn't anything out there to be afraid of. They begin to realize that to be free of the fear of death is to be free to embrace this life with a greater joy and a sense of generosity. And that spirit begins to permeate the whole community. Of course, everyone is not delighted at what is happening. The Roman authorities immediately begin to sense a threat in all of this. You realize, of course, don't you, that the fear of death is one of the chief weapons that a tyrant uses to oppress people. And the Romans were masters at this. One of their cruelest emperors once said, corpses can be so educational. When the scum see their own blood or the blood of those that they love, it cowers them into fear, and then we can rule them as we want. There is nothing more threatening to an oppressor than one who has been freed of the fear of death. And so in the play, the Roman legions come to Bethany and they surround the house of Lazarus. And they say to him, you have to stop this laughter. Rome will not tolerate it. But he just laughs all the more. Very much the way Jesus was before Pilate on the last night before his death. They have no power over him. Finally, in frustration, they arrest him and they send him to prison. But even there, the laughter continues. And so they deport him all the way to Rome. And as the play is coming to an end, Lazarus is ushered into the imperial chambers of Caesar himself, where the emperor says to him, I have heard of your case. We simply cannot tolerate what you are doing. One final time, stop this infernal laughter or we will kill you. And Lazarus replies, go ahead. There is only life. There is only the laughter of God. And so the play ends with this man freed from his fear of death, literally conquering the Roman Empire. The most powerful man in the world has no power over him. I think O'Neill has put his finger on the functional significance of this event that lies at the very center of history and this whole Easter season that we are a part of. 
I think he's absolutely right. If we could be free of the fear of death, we would be free not just for life after death, but for life after birth, the life that you and I are living at this very moment. The great theologian Reinhold Niebuhr once said, the way we understand our ultimate end determines how we understand our life now as believers. If my whole self is going to be with God forever in heaven, that means that my whole self is involved with God right now. John Ortberg, another Presbyterian minister, entitled uh, his most recent book that we have just finished in our adult study, Eternity is Now in Session. What I'm suggesting is that if we could ever lose our fear of death, then the other fears in our life would go away as well. And we would be able to take with both hands the incredible all rightness of the way it is. We could begin to risk more, to love and to serve better. This one who was freed from the fear of death was able to stand up to the principalities and powers in this world. The Apostle Paul was right. He wrote to the church at Corinth, Easter doesn't take away death itself. We are all going to die. But rather, the fear, the sting of death. That tomb was as empty as a doorway through which we will all pass on our way to the one who gave us life in the first place, whose desire is to bless us in the words of Tiny Tim, each and every one. I'm not sure, really, that most of us realize how that fear of death is so intimately connected to all of the other fears that drain us. Hugh Husseldine spent most of his life studying the whole phenomenon of fear and its effect on us. At one point, he classified all of those fears into three categories. He said, there is, first of all, the fear of falling. Then he talked about the fear of loud noises or catastrophes that break into our lives. And finally, he talked about the fear of abandonment. But he went on to say that if you look deeply beneath all three of these, there is only one poison source at the bottom. And that is the fear that death marks the end. The poet Homer put it this way. He said, what we call life is destroyed by death and who can take away its terror? But you see, Easter is God's answer to Homer's question. So the Apostle Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Years ago now, an old professor of mine um, told us about a dream that he had had. Actually, I'm not sure if it was a dream or just something that he imagined. Uh, I remember that it was during the Easter season, and uh, so his mind was filled with these images of life and death, in the dream, Bill said, I died physically. 
And like so many of the stories that you have heard, I found myself moving through a cold, dark tunnel. And then it opened up, and I found myself at what I can only describe as a kindly light. There was no figure to be seen, but there was a kind of warmth and an acceptance, a kind of welcome like I had never known. And then from somewhere high up in the depths of light, a voice spoke to me. I was called by name. And the voice said, I want to ask you some questions. Bill said, I knew intuitively it was the voice of God. And I remember stiffening in fear because I said to myself, here it comes, the judgment. This is God and I know I have not done it perfectly. And the voice began by saying, can you weep? Can you weep over the pain that you have caused yourself and others in the way that you have neglected and misused your powers? Are you sorry for your sins? And Bill said it didn't take long to get in touch with that because every sensitive person has a sense of guilt not far beneath the surface. We know. We know that we have done things that we have shouldn't have. And even more that we have left undone things that we could have done. Every one of us, truth be told, knows that we have not done it perfectly. And Bill says, I began to get in touch with all of those times and a great sadness came over me. I remember crying and it went down to the very depths of my being. I had not been faithful to this great gift that had been given to me. But then he said that moment passed. And the voice went on to say, I want to ask you something else. Can you laugh at all of the gladness you've experienced? Do you remember the good jokes you've heard? The funny things that you have seen along the way? The wonderfully hilarious, the satisfying things that have made up your life? And Bill said once again, it wasn't hard to get in touch with those things. I began to realize that goodness and mercy had followed me every day of my life. I had been graced in so many ways. And I began to get in touch with all of that. And as I did, I began to laugh. First in a shallow way. And then I began to laugh from the very depths of my being. And so help me, it seemed as though the light around me was laughing. If you have ever heard the laughter of God, he said, it is the most exquisite sound imaginable. And then this too passed. There was a long silence. And then the voice said, I want to ask you one more thing. Do you want any more of it? This life that I have given you, do you want any more of it? Bill said I was initially startled by the question, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized it was a valid one. God can give us life, 
God cannot make us enjoy it. He said, I sensed at that fateful moment that I really had a choice. And as I looked back, I realized that being a human being is not simple. There is struggle and there is pain. There is a lot of hardship to it. I saw very clearly that there is a bitterness to life that cannot be denied. But then I realized that there is also a sweetness that is blended in with it. In fact, bittersweet may be the best description of this checkerboard experience that we all share. And as Bill looked back on all of it, not just some of it, from the deepest place within him, he found emerging the same words that came out of Lazarus's mouth as he came from the tomb. Yes. Yes, I do want some more of it. I do want more chances to live and to love and to learn. Yes, I want more of it. And with that, he said, the light began to vibrate with joy. And Bill remembered the words from the Bible that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than anything else. And the quivering light said, great, wonderful. That's what I want too. Come, ye blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the very foundations of the earth. Enter more fully into the joy of your Lord. And in the dream, Bill said, I remember plunging even deeper into that sea of light, just as you plunge into a crystal blue lake. And then I awoke. It was only a dream, of course. I don't want to make too much of it. But I believe that that dream came from the same deep place that Easter comes from. The same place that Lazarus emerged from when he came forth from that tomb. I'm staking my life on the fact that there is only life out there. That there is only the laughter of God that what lies out there is incredible joy and a desire to share that in all of its fullness. So if we are willing to weep, because life is serious and the gifts that we are given are not meant to be abused, if we can weep, but then if we can also laugh and be grateful for all of the gladness of aliveness. And most of all, if we want more of it, then the one whose will it was to give us life in the first place is going to respond to our yes with an everlasting yes. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. There is mercy enough in him to take care of all that is past. There is grace enough in him to take care of all that is yet to come. If we can begin to trust 
that that tomb is as empty as the doorway that leads to something new, then we can begin to sing from the depths of our being the words of the old spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Amen.